Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the CEU Press podcast series and the second episode of our Getting Published series. Today's episode is all about the peer review and um, I have two guests with me today. Raba Ridgerot is a senior acquisitions editor at the Greuter, mainly responsible for the English language history list with a special focus on 19th and 20th century social and cultural history. My other guest is Jan McCall, who is an acquisitions editor at CEU Press, and she's responsible for commissioning new books for the Press's history list. Thank you to the both of you for joining this podcast today. Before we dive into today's topic, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, happy to. So yes, I, um, I'm i an acquisitions editor. Other presses call as a commissioning editor, which means that I commission new books for our history list at uh, CEU Press, um, but also looking at more interdisciplinary areas to develop into. And my day-to-day work involves talking to potential authors about their research, um, going to conferences to meet authors, and I work with them on the development of their proposals, their book proposals, and safely shepherd books through the peer review process, which we're going to talk about through to our board meeting and and basically the contact person for an author all the way through the process. So yeah, that's in a nutshell, basically what I do. I'm an, an acquisitions editor, senior acquisitions editor at De Gruyter, the history department. I've been with De Gruyter since 2014, so coming up on my um, 10th year and mainly responsible for um, the development of the English language list. So I'm responsible for developing new book projects, but also new book series. So setting up new fields within the history department. Of course, always looking for early career authors to work with too, uh, which I'm especially passionate about. And um, the the fields I'm mostly working in are things like yeah, my, migration history, digital history, African and also European history, always with a transnational and global perspective. Also, of course, always responsible and, and Jen said, point of first contact for authors at all times, mostly problem, problem solving. I always had the feeling that acquisitions editor have to do quite a lot of troubleshooting. And I guess one of the areas where you have to do quite a lot is, is the peer review process. Before we dive into peer review process, I think the first question is, what is actually peer review and what is its purpose in academic book publishing? There's a sort of, I mean, the official definition of peer review is around the a means of evaluating the quality of a scholarly piece of work and the originality of it. And to and the ultimate purpose of that is to maintain the integrity of the body of literature that's coming out from, from, scholars, from scholarly work. So that's sort of the, the, the overarching um, definition of peer review. I'd say on a practical level, as a commissioning editor, we, we can't possibly have the detailed granular knowledge of all the books that we publish, um, particularly, I mean, they're all based on scholarly research, some based on, you know, years of uh, research for a PhD. And so we as editors rely on the expertise of other scholars who have that detailed knowledge, who can comment on the book proposal and feedback to us on ideas for development. And that, of course, in its turn, maintains the quality of the list um, that we publish, the quality of the books that we publish. Would you like to add anything to that? Sure. I, all of that, of course. Um, it's it's a form of quality control, right? Because, yeah, we, we are history editors, but we, we can't possibly 
know details about every manuscript and every research question that that we get in touch with through our authors and we need experts to help us with that to help evaluate is this up to current standards research standards is it also something that helps the field evolve into something else and yeah for for a couple of weeks now the more and more the question of is this actually written by a human being or is it ai also comes up more and more but that's my bit for later that that will be a different discussion soon i mean i guess it ties into this you know, academics know about different kinds of peer review so there's a single anonymized double anonymized what would be the most common for for monographs in your area uh for me monographs are always um double double anonymized so it's i send it out to two peer reviewers and they don't know the name of the author and the author doesn't know whom i'm sending it out to best case scenario some fields are just too small so the reviewer immediately has like a sense of okay this this must have, must be from xyz because he's she's the only one working on it but yeah in an ideal world they don't know or they don't tell me That's interesting because that's different to how we run things at CU Press and also how I've worked at some other publishers um, where for books it's a single anonymized, sometimes known as single blind process for books. For journals, I think it's always double anonymized. But where I've worked and at CU Press, it's single, which means that the reviewers know who the author is. We don't blank out the author details from the proposal, but we anonymize the reviews that come back before we share them with the with the authors so and um, we tend to sink see two external or possibly three depending on project i think there's there are as you said many different ty- uh, there are different types those two so we've exhibited the fact that different publishers have different um different attitudes to to that process there's also something called open peer review which has got less traction i think in the book publishing world than single and double anonymized um that's where uh, the peer review the, the piece is published openly and uh, and it's reviewed sort of in real time it's more of a a thing i think in journals publishing but there have been experiments for books too so who knows down the down the line that might become something that more publishers use yeah we actually tried that the open peer review and it's the heavily based on what the if it's an edited volume for example what the book editor can make other people make his network or her network do um to get engaged because it it's something to ask of authors to put their name on there out there and publicly review maybe pieces of colleagues that are higher up the ladder so to speak so it's not always successful yeah and do you have cases where um, peer reviewer says feel free to tell the authors that it was me who did the peer review yes that's quite we in fact i think we have a we have a question in our form which says would you be happy i tend to ignore their answer <laughs> and just anonymize everything but it's what quite useful to have that information at your back because also if the reviews are really good we we might use a quote from it or we might ask for their permission to use a quote from it on the published book cover yeah we do have that too that omit personal details thing and i also always ignore it but it's good to know because sometimes the authors have questions and they ask can i maybe reach out to the reviewer and then i at least can ask that question to the reviewer because i already know that he was kind of okay or she was kind of okay with forwarding the details in the first place Yeah, I mean, I think Rebel you mentioned that um you sometimes have to rely on especially in smaller fields you have to rely on the authors to kind of help you find the peer reviewers. How much say do authors have in you know who you send the manuscript to? 
Oh, they don't have any say at all. I'm just being friendly. <laughs> no, I, I usually I ask them if they have an idea because, of course, they know their field best. So they know what are the, the experts, uh, what are the, the leading um, scholars. Also, sometimes of importance is um, what they say, who not to contact. Because, right, you don't know of personal differences that might have occurred. And then you might send it out to someone asking for peer review who has a, like, Yeah, personal problems with that author um, that, of course, affect the peer review. And to know that before you send it out is, is helpful. So, yeah, I, I do ask for suggestions. Uh, we also have that in our proposal form. If only to then go from those names to the ones I'm going to, to send emails to. On proposal forms, uh, publishers often ask, and, and you said it, said it as well, you know, to list four, five, six names that you can then use. What would be your suggestion for authors? Like, what names to put down on this list? Well, there are some things to definitely avoid. I mean, as Rabia says, we may or may not use those suggestions. And we always say that in the form, and it tends to be a combination. If it's a field that you know, I've, we're well established in and I've got a lot of people that I can call on, then I would probably go to those maybe previous authors of ours or people that I've worked with before. But that being the case, I may well call on on the list for inspiration. A do's and don'ts. I mean, definitely don't put anybody who's based at your institution. Don't put the name of your one of your supervisors of your past PhD thesis or examiners. You're basically trying to put forward some names who who are going to be kind of unbiased in their um, in their approach, but obviously put people down who know your field really well and will be able to comment on the um, rigor of your scholarship. I would also say probably be realistic about the level of who they are. I mean, it, I'm putting very very senior scholars who are likely to be incredibly busy. They may not have time to review proposals, and so. You know, just being being a bit realistic that you might not want to put the starriest name uh, names down on that list, but choose people who know your field but who are likely to have the time to to look at it. Yeah, so I, th I think my next questions are more about the process of the peer review. I'm not quite sure whether it's different for kind of publishing house houses like the Greuter and for university presses like CEU Press. But what material do you send out first to the peer reviewers? Okay, well, it, it sort of varies. <laughs> so it's not a simple question. I mean, first off, there's normally a round of pre-peer review comments and in sort of internal review process. So an author will send a proposal or a draft proposal and we'll work on that together and I'll provide some sort of feedback from a publishing perspective. I might have a conversation with the team at CU Press initially. I might even ask for some sort of informal feedback from Uh, an author or somebody that I know on the proposal. So there'll be a, a bit of toing and froing before we reach the point where we're happy to send the book out to peer review. And of course, if a book is published in a scholarly series, then the series editors would have that, you know, there will be that involved in that process too, both in initially critiquing potential proposal for their series and also putting forward some ideas for peer reviewers to approach. And then in terms of what material we send out to peer review, it it, it does vary. We're, we're comfortable in sending out sample chapters and proposals for an initial round of review. But I would say that everything we do, all the books we publish, always go out for a full manuscript review at some st at one stage or another. So it's either we, for an early career researcher where a book's based on a PhD thesis, 
we would normally want to see the full manuscript before we move to peer review because these are people who haven't written a book before and, and would I think would find it valuable to have that kind of level of detailed feedback at the outset. For a more established author or an editor of an, a collection, then a proposal and sample material we would initially send out for peer review. If all was well, we'll take it forward to the board. But then when the book is ready, we would then go back to one of the proposal reviewers, hopefully, and, and ask them to read the full manuscript. So, yeah, not a, not a simple answer, really. At DeGreta, it's a little bit different, the process, because we don't have like an internal board, so to speak, like university presses have. So when I get the, the first proposal from an author, it's it's me and then my editorial team. And we're discussing that proposal first. But of course, that's more on the level of, well, is, how, how well written is it? How engaging is it? Does it fit the list? Things like that that and then we yeah the the only thing that we do then is share it with of course sales and marketing so that's kind of the board if you will but what we send out to actual peer reviewers and not meaning series editors because they also get proposals saying okay do you see this in your series as well because i usually only send it out if i see it there and if they um, say yes then the only thing I'll send out to peer reviewers is the full revised manuscript. Because like you said, Jen, um, a dissertation manuscript is nothing I'll send out to peer review, usually because that might be a bit harsh, but that's also not fair on the peer reviewers. It's a bit not wasting their time completely, but it's just, it's not the same manuscript that will go into print. So why review it before it's revised? But the the thing that I do first when I um, send emails to peer reviewers, asking them if they have time and interest in doing it is sending out a synopsis and details about like technical parameters like how long is it is a monograph is it edited volume things like that and also what's the reimbursement yeah i mean i think with the peer review in a way it's it's quite a balancing act because you have to balance the expectation of the author who is sending in the manuscript and you also have to manage the expectation of the of the peer reviewer what advice would you give to peer reviewers, what what should they be looking out for? How can they be constructive in their feedback to to make the manuscript into a better book? So um, we usually send a review form out with the manuscript that they can kind of work through, which hopefully helps them because there are specific questions on there that they should answer in their their report. And on top of that, they can also, of course, they they can send in as, as much text in addition as they like whatever they feel most comfortable with but yeah usually say like focus on what the the author is trying to do what uh, what is important for the field and and does the book deliver on that is it up is it up to current standards is it up to date does it cite current research uh, and important research does it neglect some um is it one-sided maybe but also try to nicely ask them to not focus that much energy on if the author cited their books too much, because some of the reviewers do say that a lot. Yeah, I think that all of that is completely, yeah, great. I, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, we the, our form asks, gives quite a lot of direction to reviewers in terms of what we're looking for. So as Robert says, I think, you know, suggesting possible ways in which they think it might be developed, pointing out perhaps some of the literature that they may not have covered is good. We also, I think, mentioning we we have a question around quality of English um, in our 
form. And we had a discussion about this quite recently because, of course, at CEU Press, we want to support scholars who don't have English as, a, as their own uh, first language. And so our question there is, you know, how well is it, is it written in clear English? Is not, if a reviewer comes back to say, no, it's not, it needs some attention. This is not to say that we wouldn't publish the book for that reason. It's more a question to alert us. I mean, we probably would have picked it up anyway, but alert us to the fact that we need to have a conversation with the author about a round of um, detailed language editing at that point, rather than it being something that would not it would prevent us from publishing something and we've sort of tried to make that clear now on our form but yeah I mean I just say advice is to be honest but constructive in your criticism I, th- I think there's not I sometimes get reviews back which which are ra- rather sort of very critical and seem to want to make a book something that it's not uh, and I think that's quite a temptation as well you know to take a book on its own merits but to assess it on those merits rather than wanting it to be something else completely so yeah a bit of a trick there I think yeah that's I mean that's that's also a bit tricky because what do you like if the reviewer is asking for a completely different book, then you can't really go back to the author to say, you know, you have to rewrite it like this. I and mean, that, that's not very, that's not very constructive, I think. You send out the manuscript. Usually, how long does this process take? Do you give a kind of time frame to the peer reviewers or how does this work? Yeah, I mean, for us, because as I say, some of the projects we're sending out for that initial round of review on proposal and sample material, and I really ideally like feedback within four weeks for that. For the full manuscript review stage, which might happen later on or might happen uh, at that earlier stage if it's a first book, then obviously we need to allow more time for um, scholars to, to, uh, to for peer reviewers to read the whole book. And there, you know, to six weeks to two two months it just depends on the time of year it depends it's becoming increasingly difficult for people to fit this kind of work into their demanding um job expectations and and schedules so uh but but i aim for four weeks for a proposal and sample chapter review and maybe six to eight for for a manuscript for manuscript review and then obviously you need to factor in time for the author responses. Yeah, pretty much the same on, yeah. I'd say that six to eight weeks, eight to 10 weeks, maybe possibly, and the better, um, it's, it's always better to schedule ahead right, with the peer reviewers to say in March, well, first of May, you'll get in, you, if you accept, you'll get a manuscript. It would be great if you could start right ahead, uh, right away. And usually that works quite well, but it has gotten so much harder over the last two to three years to not only find reviewers, but also stick to that kind of time frame. And whenever I hear the, those, those horror stories from authors that they waited one and a half years on peer review, on feedback, that's, that's not okay, of course, but I, there, there's, there comes a point when you, as, a, as an editor at the press, kind of, yeah, it's not in your hand anymore because sometimes peer reviewers accept to do the review and to accept the schedule. Um, and then you never hear from them again. <laughs> I think it's become increasingly part of my job, and I'm sure the same is, is true for you, Rabia, is to really keep a tight rein on what's going on with your books, which are going through peer review, much more than I used to have to do because reviews would come in when the reviewers said, or more or less when they said. But now, you know, keeping authors up to date with what's happening with peer review and keeping 
checking in with reviewers who've said yes and constantly putting reminders in my diary to go out to further reviewers if I haven't heard from anybody is quite a, a big piece because to keep it moving is quite a trick these days. Yeah, do you think this is um, because of the pandemic and then the working from home and also, you know, people at universities have more and more to do also, not just teaching, research, but administration as well? I do, I do think so. I do think that it, it probably started long before the pandemic, but that kind of was the accelerator. It, it all blew up um, over the last three years because people were working 24-7, especially women with, with kids at home and having to do all the care work on top of, of everything else. And then, of course, the precarity of the system they are working in, having to prioritize what they take on and more and more just are feeling or have been feeling the the um, the effects of the first one to two years of the pandemic now so getting burned out and saying no to things they would have accepted earlier there's also a factor of kind of overproduction in some some people would say overproduction <laughs> of um of scholarly output because everyone's driven to published to get on and so I think you're getting more and more and more and more and more books coming out there from all the publishers and yeah but uh, yeah I think the combination is a bit deathly really. Yeah I mean I think there is more and more pressure on especially precariously employed scholars to push out the book start thinking about the next one. I kind of wanted to switch to, because you know, we have talked about the process from the peer reviewer's point of view and to switch to the author's perspective. You receive the peer review feedback and it can be positive or there can be quite a fair amount of changes that they are asking for or even significant re- rewrites or if the project is rejected by the peer reviewer. What would you advise to authors? You know, how do you deal with all these different scenarios and you know, how do you guide them through the process of responding to the peer reviewer? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to come to your peer review reports with a open and positive mindset. And so I would always try and encourage my authors to do that. I mean, what I do is I share the uh, reports, as I say, anonymized, normally in an email. And I, I might pull out, I probably would pull out the points that the reviewers have made for and suggestions for, for further development of the proposal and the manuscript. And I will ask for their response to those um, suggestions. I mean, if it's a, we have sort of A, B, C, D, I'm, I'm, I think most publishers are the same. So A is you must publish, you've got to publish this book, unreservedly brilliant. But normally, even in an A review, um, there are some suggestions. So I would always ask for the author's response to those suggestions. If it's a B review, it's uh, minor revisions, but we should go ahead. So again, you know, invite the author to uh, respond to those. A C is revise and resubmit at CU Press. So that's, you know, there are some larger issues that need to be tackled and then it should be sent out for a further round of review. So for then, you know, I would obviously have a conversation with the author about next steps there, about revising their proposal and coming back to me with their responses. If, and then obviously there are some, you know, larger criticisms there in a, in a review like that. It's fine if an author really doesn't agree with a, with a reviewer's suggestions, then as long as a response from the author is robust and I can see the logic of it, then, you know, you don't have to slavishly say yes, you know, to, and accept every comment. But I think there are ways of coming to 
a reviewer's criticisms which are open, responsive, but may not ultimately take up the suggestion, which is fine. And so, you know, reviewing and looking at your trying to not not be offended by comments is what <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. And then obviously if it's a D suggestion, that means uh, that it's not suitable for us then I would uh, go back and I would have a conversation with the author about next steps there. You know, perhaps a different publishing house would be open, uh, would be a better place for the book, or perhaps it, it's better treated as not publishing in a book, but publishing in a series of articles or various different strategies. So, um, yeah, there's there's quite a lot of variation there. Yeah, it's, it's more or less the same here. We don't have ABCD, but we do have like accepted without revisions and so on and so forth. But I think most importantly um, for for me is that I usually uh, don't pass on peer reviews uh, to the author without revisions by myself. Like if the peer reviewer is, even if it's a constructive and, and fair assessment, they sometimes have a wording that is not super nice, especially if it's like culturally um, different because you have like a, sorry, a German peer reviewer um, reviewing an, an American author, right? That just clashes. Even if the German is super positive about it, the American will read it as, oh my God, he destroyed me. <laughs> because just of the, of the way we, we talk differently. So I try to smoothen that out a little, revise a bit and, and take out the possibly offending um, languages and words. Um, sometimes um, if, the, if the review is extremely positive and I'm thinking, wow, this is fantastic and I just can't pass it on like that, the author comes back and says, is that actually, is that real? And they, they kind of have a hard time accepting and believing that they are this good and you have to, to make them believe that, yes, it really is and we told you so. <laughs> And then if, if it needs a little bit of revisions, I mean, the, the first thing that, that I always tell authors is if it's not super 100% perfect, to sleep on it, to read it through, sleep on it, and then next time, uh, next day, uh, read it again and call me if there are some things. Even if it's just a minor uh, thing they ask, we can always, when we talk about it, um, make sure the author knows that it's their book, it's not the reviewer's book. So yeah, they might have valuable suggestions and we, we as publishers, we couldn't live without them. But the author might have things to say that, that are more important or as important in return. So I always try to, to listen to that too. Series editor, of course, um, are important. When they are involved, they'll get the, the, the reviews as well. Uh, and for them, I usually try to leave in everything as, as I received it. And if it's if it's a well, this has to be completely revised and then send in for, for peer review again, then that's also something that I probably not send on to authors uh, in an email, but just request a, a Zoom meeting or a telephone call and talk with them about it. I think something we haven't covered, actually, is when you get a rev one fantastic review and one absolutely terrible review and kind of res resolving that issue and where the comments are so widely different that's the really difficult thing to negotiate, I think. And it happens a fair amount. I mean, I, I would say that if I get one D, like, you know, you should never publish this book, and one A, then there's something going on there. I would then go to probably another reviewer and get another another opinion on it. And I would think, you know, what is the situation? Is there something, as Rabea says, is there an issue with uh, with a particular clash of personalities there or something going on there? 
but yeah that can be quite a difficult situation and, and I would normally get another a third opinion there or you know even a fourth or perhaps use our board you know our editorial board is so brilliantly engaged with our list that um, they're a fantastic resource for me to pull on yeah I mean I think authors tend to like the process you should like the process I think of peer review even though it sounds harsh because it's good to get that feedback now you don't want that kind of criticisms being leveled at you when the book's published and it's it's getting reviewed in in the in, the, in your scholarly journals better to have this feedback at this early stage and give the book the chance to be the best it can possibly be that's quite true if you have like let's say a b and a d and then you know you kind of have to go to a third reviewer what happens if the third reviewer is they are not that enthusiastic about it as the first reviewer but not as unenthusiastic about it as the second reviewer but kind of in between you know what do you do and that's when you go to the fourth reviewer or yeah well there has to come a point where you just think well perhaps it's not a book for our list you know yeah or or maybe another opinion but then things start to get very very kind of lengthy in terms of turnaround times and things like that I would say it's a it's likely indicates something that needs a bit more work um to me if you've got a a, a C a D and a B <laughs> yeah I don't know what do you think Robert yeah it's it's like it can be a never-ending story right it can be really really long-winded but I usually or sometimes try to then tap into my own network and see if I can just quickly call someone I know who is also active in that field and working in that field and get their opinion on it and then work that into it somehow and maybe dismiss the A or D whatever (laughs) is the extremist. Yeah, that makes sense. Once the author completes the revisions, do you always send the manuscript out for a clearance review or it depends on how much changes they have to make? Uh, it sort of depends for us on what's happened before. So if we've waited until the manuscript's ready to send out for a peer review in the first instance, um, so it's a revised manuscript, it's ready to go and we've sent it out for a peer review, then I wouldn't then send it for another round of peer review once the author has done those revisions. But what I would ask is the author would make it clear to me what he or she has done um, to follow the the suggestions of the peer review. So I can look at the manuscript and make sure that things are Uh, sorted out as I said I think uh, for us um, where we've uh, moved to issue a provisional contract to an author on the basis of proposal and chapter reviews at that earlier stage then yes of course when the manuscript comes in we will then always make sure that we get the full manuscript uh, reviewed uh, hopefully by one of the reviewers who's looked at the proposal and that's that degree of familiarity with the project so in that way you know, all of our books have a full manuscript review at either that initial stage or at the um, stage after contract, but before we move into production. Yeah, we do. Um, if it's like if if substantial revisions were made, then I probably send it out to the to the peer reviewer again, but to the same ones because I don't want to ask another pair of reviewers to go over everything and start from scratch. Usually what happens is that I ask the authors to comment on the, the revisions they made and that then I'll then read through that and share it with series editors if they are involved and we go from there. Yeah, that makes sense. So once all the peer review is completed and you decide that you are accepting the manuscript, what happens next to the manuscript? I mean, this is just in, in very large brush strokes because I think this will be another episode on its own. A very, very quick rundown. Well, if, if not done before, technical revisions, like adjusting to our style sheet would be next. 
copy editing, language editing, something like that would also be next, or technical editing. And then uh, we start production. So send us galley proofs, typeset galley proofs, and create the index, start clear copyrights if we, if we have to um, think about that and work towards the, the publication of the book. Simple as that. With everything <laughs> that entails. <laughs> yeah, no, for us, because we're in university press, after peer review comes the editorial board meeting. So as I mentioned earlier, we would then take the book with the peer reviews, the proposal, I prepare a cover sheet which pulls together salient points about a book and I present the book to the editorial board with all of that paperwork and uh, hopefully the board uh, then approve the book uh, for our list and I can then issue a contract to um, the author. Sometimes there's pretty valuable feedback from the board. As I said, they're a fantastic group, very, very engaged with what we do and very constructive. So there's normally a bit of um, feedback for the authors at that stage. But then a contracts issue where we set out the delivery date for the final manuscript and the, the small royalty that we're able to pay and how long the book should be. And then, as Robert says, once the book's ready for us, it's clearance, we're getting the full manuscript reviewed and then all the steps that Robert talked about. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and um, where can people find you if they have a book proposal they would like to send it to you how can they get in touch with you yeah our, our email and and probably still the, the the cell phone number are online on our website um so that's always perfectly fine to get in touch with and also of course on social media twitter linkedin send send a message there and of, in person right at conferences if if they see us um always come up and establish contact <laughs> yes absolutely it's lovely to meet people face to face there's some things that zoom just can't do but for me yeah um my email i think will be available uh on the on the podcast page um and you can always reach me that way or twitter linkedin etc but yeah we'll be we'll be at conferences too and that's a really good way if you're wanting to discover the process of publishing a book and you haven't been through it before then I'd always encourage you to go and seek out the publisher's exhibition stands and go and talk to some commissioning editors. It's a great way of getting up to speed with things. It's also nicer to discuss your project in person, I think. At least I, I usually prefer that. But uh, you know, all your contact details, Twitter handles, LinkedIn will be in the show notes below. So thank you very much again for coming on this episode. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And goodbye. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.